edition of Wrestling with the Mind. I am your host, Seth Burchett. Uh, this is a new venture for me. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time and finally have gotten up the courage to uh, jump out there and put myself out there uh, for hopefully your benefit. So let me give you a little bit of a rundown about me, about what this podcast is all about, because I think that's going to be uh, incredibly important for you moving forward uh, as you listen to this. This episode is going to be solely just me. Uh, I'm not a guy that uh, is, look at me, look at me, that's not what I'm doing here. But in order to understand where I'm coming from, uh, what this podcast is going to be about, I think it's really important to understand who I am. But first... Let's get into why I'm doing this. Uh, First of all, uh, I'm doing this to help people. This is going to be a mental health podcast. Mental health is something I'm very passionate about. It's something that I deal with. I deal with anxiety and depression. It's something that uh, has become very important in my life uh, because not only do I deal with it, but 40 million other Americans, I think is the number, deal with it as well. So it's something that a lot of us uh, deal with. Uh, I am more uh, in the realm of depression, anxiety. Uh, That's what I'm going to be speaking about most, but I'm going to try to bring people on and talk about other mental illnesses as well, not just just depression, anxiety, but bipolar, things like that. I'm going to try to bring people in who know a lot more about that or have personal experience with that. Uh, So I want to help people. I want people to listen to this and understand that you're not alone, that there are other people that deal with this sort of thing on a daily basis, that every day is a fight, every day is a struggle. Um, But that doesn't mean that we have to give in to it. The other thing is, um, this is therapy for me. This is something that uh, is basically an audio journal for me that I can... Uh, get something out of by sharing my story, sharing my experiences, etc., etc. It's something that that I can use as an outlet for myself. Um, So there is a bit of selfishness in there as well. But uh, as I will talk about uh, through this journey that we take together, uh, it's it's being selfish is okay from time to time and and I'll get into that in, in future episodes uh, because it's something that that I learned is is very helpful to me. Um, the other thing is, uh, and lastly, um, I want to make mental health more normal. What I mean by that is, I think as a society, especially here in America, uh, mental health is demonized. Anytime something happens, uh, some sort of tragedy, we, we immediately point to mental health. And that doesn't mean that that doesn't play a factor in it. That doesn't mean people uh, don't do things uh, and, and mental health plays a part in it. That certainly is true. But people that deal with mental health 
that aren't doing those things shouldn't feel like less of a person. They shouldn't feel like they are uh, different in uh, society demonizes them because they deal with mental illness. Okay, we are different, and that's okay. Um, we might not always be okay, and that's okay. And that's something that uh, you'll hear about a little bit more as we go along. Uh, but basically, I want to make mental health, I want to bring it to the forefront. I want people to, to hear about it and learn about it because I think that is that's very important and something uh, that this, this society in America specifically needs more of. So as I move forward into this, as I mentioned before, I think it's important for you to understand who I am. You know, who is this guy that I'm listening to? Why should I care? Um, what, you know, what makes him an expert on this? Well, first of all, I'm not an expert. I'm just somebody that deals with it. And some people might argue that makes me an expert, and that's fine. Uh, you're okay. That you can do that. I'm okay with that. But uh, really, what I am is a guy that lives with this, much like many of you listening probably do. So I think it's important to get a, a backstory about me uh, and know who I am and where I come from uh, and, and really uh, set the tone for what we're going to do in future weeks. So for me, uh, I was born in Kentucky. I was born in a small mountain town uh, called Paintsville. I lived there until I was 13. And there were instances where my depression and anxiety really peaked its head. And at the time, obviously, I didn't know that's what it was. But I'm just going to give you a couple of examples here. Uh, well, one really in particular that displays what anxiety can do to you specifically because this uh, is, is something that deals with anxiety. This story, uh, when I was about nine, my mom took me uh, to the movies and I was super excited. Uh, it was a movie that should not be spoken about today called Kazam. I was a big Shaq fan. I, I, as a kid, I loved Shaq. That dude was larger than life. I loved him. Uh, so I wanted to go see the movie. And uh, we go, and where I grew up, the movie theater was only, uh, there were three viewing areas in the theater. Uh, it wasn't a big movie theater, but they just added on. So it was in one of these new theaters. There were two of them. And they were a lot smaller than the other three that I was used to. This is an old school theater. It was a big theater in terms of, of the, the original um, three screens. So we're in this smaller viewing area, right? And I start to panic. And at some point as we sat down and, and the previews hadn't even started rolling yet, I'd convinced myself that there was a bomb in the movie theater. Uh, I convinced myself that something bad was about to happen and I needed to get out of there. Uh, now, maybe this was claustrophobia. Maybe that played a little part in it. But really, I think it had to do with the fact that it was in a newer building, uh, a newer screen that was smaller that I was unfamiliar with. So that threw me off. And I tell my mom, hey, there's a bomb in the theater. It's going to blow up. And, and my mom is like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, just sit down, just sit down. And 
paint your popcorn, drink some of your soda, and it'll be okay. But I was convinced, and I had to go. You know, I had to uh, get out of there. I had to uh, leave because, in my mind, this was going to happen. Now, keep in mind, this is also around the time that uh, Atlanta was uh, had been bombed, the Olympics, in 1996. So there's a, a frame of reference for you there. And, and I'd seen that on the news and was convinced that in Little Paintsville, Kentucky, a town that is about 5,300 people in terms of the city limits, that this was something that was going to happen to Little Paintsville. And I ran out of the movie theater, and my mom, God bless her, didn't know how to act with this. So she uh, <laughs> got upset about it and um, threatened to leave me and told me I had to go get her money back. So we did. I went into the theater or into the main office and said, hey, um, I'd like my money back. And they asked me why. And I had to tell them that I thought there was a bomb in the theater and that it was going to blow up. And that was a, a pretty embarrassing, pretty embarrassing uh, a time for me. But I did get the money back. Uh, but that's just one example of which there are many, uh, of anxiety and what it can do to you. And it was, I was, I guess, about nine at the time. Maybe I was ten. I don't know the exact date um, of this. But uh, I do know that that was something uh, that stuck with me that uh, was one of the first examples that anxiety uh, really creeped in on me. And... Uh, and controlled me. It took over. I didn't have power over it. Now, the other thing about me that's important to know, uh, and I think this has contributed, you know, I know mental health is uh, a misfunction of the brain or, or, you know, I don't know all the science of it. Um, I've had it explained to me and I've tried to learn, but it's it's not exactly easy to, to figure out especially when doctors are talking to you in doctor language. You don't fully understand what they're saying. You just know that there's something wrong. But I also think some of it is part circumstance as well. Um, and this might be a controversial statement, and that's okay. Uh, but for me, uh, one of the things that played a huge role in my life, even today, uh, plays a little bit of a role, is that uh, I do not know my father, my biological father. Um, I've never met him. I've only talked to him a couple times on the phone that I've sought him out. Uh, and I don't think those conversations went particularly well, especially not for me. So that played a huge part in my upbringing as well. Uh, because when you don't have um, a father, you look for people as role models. Uh, you look for people that um, you can you can look up to, that that uh, you look to for that male, you know, machismo, you know, whatever it is that a young boy needs uh, or that I needed. I don't know that all boys need it, but I did. Uh, you look to that, and I didn't have that right away. Um, I had an uncle and a grandfather who were great, um, although they both passed away far too young, uh, especially my uncle, in my opinion. But, um, so I, I had to find that somewhere and, 
uh, here's where we get to the wrestling portion of the podcast, or in terms of the name. I turned to professional wrestling. Uh, growing up in a small town with 13 channels, that was the um, that was the advanced cable, I guess you'd say. That was the premium package. Was 13 channels. I found professional wrestling, and I found guys that I could look up to, and that I could. Uh, turn to and that they were consistent they kind of taught me right from wrong and good from bad and you had these charismatic colorful uh, characters that I could look to no matter what they did in their personal life and as I later have learned in life they weren't always living the best lives outside of uh, of the ring or outside of the camera um, I didn't know that and all I knew is what I saw and what I knew was if it said 6.05 on Saturday night, we're going to be there, they were there. And that was important to me. And that gave me something uh, that I could look up to. And uh, it's because of that that I myself got into professional wrestling. Um, because I'd like to be able to pass that along um, to, uh, to kids that need that. Um, that's not to say is I'm the replacement father or anything like that, because um, I'm not. You know that's not what I am. But what I what I can be is somebody that can help, that understands what some of these kids go through. And that didn't just happen with wrestling. It also happened with my coaches. Uh, I always looked up to coaches. I played football primarily growing up and. Um, my coaches were always very, very influential to me and people that I looked up to, I think sometimes without them knowing it. Uh, I also have just recently got into coaching. More on that to come later. There's your tease uh, for later on in the show. But um, coaching is, is, is something that I've also become passionate about for much the same reason, is that there are young men out there that need help. And I want to be able to do that. And that's that goes beyond depression and anxiety. But as I mentioned, I think that depression and anxiety can be can part be circumstance. And when you're dealing with it uh, and you have these circumstances around you that make you feel different, make you feel less. You know, when Father's Day would roll around and you see all the sales and all the stuff on TV, you feel different. Um, and there, I think there's a correlation there. I always felt different um, because I didn't know my father and I knew friends that had great family lives. Not to say my family life was necessarily bad, but that had that, that nuclear family that had the mom, the dad, uh, and then, you know, little Johnny and, and siblings. But at the age of 13, so I lived in Paintsville uh, until I was 13. And, and at 13, my mom decided she wanted to move to Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is where I currently reside. Now, Bowling Green, I didn't know much about. I'd visited once. Uh, my mom was dating a guy from here briefly. And, um, you know, I don't fully know exactly why she made those the move to bring me here. Um, I don't know if it was for a guy that she was hoping if she lived here that, that she could maybe have a chance with, or if it was what she had told me and that there was more opportunity here in Bowling Green. 
I don't know which is the case. All I know was I was 13 and I left everything that I knew and had to move to this big city. Um, and it was a culture shock for me. I'd never been around people of other races and ethnicities. You know, in the mountains in Paintsville, pretty much everybody looks like you. And that's what you're used to. And even though you see stuff on TV, you see other races and ethnicities on TV, um, it doesn't take the place of actually being around people. And I, it was a culture shock, and I didn't always know um, how to deal with that. So that triggered my anxiety. Um, that made it difficult for me at times. Um, I didn't know anybody. So I don't want to say I was a loner because I decided, hey, I'm going to play football and, and I'm going to try to fit in. And I made a friend uh, who took me under his wing, who I actually hoped to bring on the show one day. But he showed me around and kind of showed me the ropes and, and made sure I didn't get beat up because I said something that was inappropriate and, and didn't realize it was inappropriate at the time. Um, and... And I had to adapt and adjust, and that was hard for me. Um, it made me not like life a whole lot. <laughs> you know, it was it was something that um, when you you take a look at uh, from the outside, or I take a look at now, years later, I realized that was my anxiety kicking in because I was in a situation it was almost survival mode because I didn't know what was going on around me. I didn't know anybody. I, I was away from everything that I loved and everything that I knew. So from that aspect, um, as an eighth grader, you know, that was difficult. And then during my eighth grade year, after I haven't, you know, I haven't even lived in Bowling Green for a year. It's been at this point, six months, my uncle passes away. He was 33 years old. He had a massive heart attack. It was somebody that I looked up to. Uh, it was somebody that that was a male role model for me. And uh, it was my mom's brother, her only brother. And, you know, that was the first time that I'd had to deal with death. I, you know, at 13, I'd never dealt with death before. Uh that might be hard for some people to believe, um, but I, I, I was on a, I mean, I knew people, you know, passed away, but I, I never had to deal with it. Nobody that was close to me had ever passed away. And not that I didn't ever think that I was going to have to deal with that because I most certainly knew that I would have to at some point, but this one hit hard and, uh, my phobia of death. Uh, I think uh, while it was existent before that, I think really uh, skyrocketed after that. Um, I'm terrified of death. I know a lot of people are scared of it. It's legitimately a phobia for me. Uh, I don't like being around it. I don't like seeing it on TV. I try to avoid anything that would, would, uh, that's related to that. It, um, it sends me to panic attacks. It sends me to uh, places, dark places that I don't like being. Uh, and it's gotten better as I've, I've kind of started medication and started um, uh, started my counseling or 
or, or when I when I started counseling, I should say. So uh, I'm dealing with the death of of my uncle and having to go back to this place that I loved that suddenly becomes a place that I don't love anymore because my uncle's not there anymore. And things, again, progressively got more difficult. So, um, again, my mental state wasn't great. Uh, and I didn't know how to deal with it. It's not like somebody comes to you and says, hey, you're dealing with mental illness. Let me help you. Um, nobody does that. In part because... A, they don't know for sure whether you are or you aren't. And B, the person that's dealing with it has to want the help or has to understand what's going on. And, you know, as a 13-year-old who's just lost his uncle, you're not going to tell me that. That's, that's going to be difficult. Because in my mind, there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, we all tell ourselves in life, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I'm good. I'm cool. So, um, that was, that was difficult. So as time went on I, and I was trying to deal with my situation and deal with, uh, my uncle, uh, passing, which I still to this day have, have issues with almost, uh, well, I, geez, doing math is not my strong suit. 18 years later, I guess is what it is now. Um, it, it's become easier as the days go by but uh I transitioned from middle school or junior high as it was called here or at least where i went was a junior high to the high school high school is this fun exciting new you know experience and adventure and everybody should love it and i didn't <laughs> i was one of those kids that just didn't like high school uh, not at the time, which is really ironic when I tell you what I do now. But um, I, I I did well my first couple years in high school. I was a bit of a loner. Uh, I decided that I wanted to, to get into race cars and mechanics and things of that nature because the guy that my mom had married, uh, who she had met here, not the first guy, so this is a different guy, but... Um, decided that, that because he was into cars and mechanics, I was going to try to be into cars and mechanics, and I was just not good at it. It was not, it wasn't my forte. It wasn't very good. It was, it was actually quite awful for me. Um, but I did find some light uh, at the end of that tunnel. Uh, I had a guy who was my small engine repair teacher because I'm going to be a lawnmower mechanic, I thought. And he said, uh, hey, you're not very good at this. <laughs> you're, you're not very good at all. But what you are good at is talking sports. Now, I, I've loved sports my whole life. Um, I've watched sports. I've played sports. You know, it's it's something that keeps me level sometimes. And um, he says, hey, you're going to go write me a sports page. You know, I guess it was every Monday or Tuesday. And you're going to put it together. You're going to write the articles. And if you don't, you're going to fail my class. So that's a, it's a hard line stance. Now, this guy was a former Marine, so it shouldn't surprise you to, to hear that. But what he recognized in me was that, hey, this, this kid isn't good at what I'm teaching, but he is good at something. And pushed me into um, journalism. So 
I start to write this paper. Um, I'm distributing it out to people uh, along the way, and they uh, it got me into a newspaper the next year, and I started writing for the newspaper. Now, I tell you all this because clearly this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with mental health other than this is the day-to-day -day life stuff. This is the stuff you have to deal with every day. This is the stuff that um, you the, the battles and the wars that you're going to fight within your mind every single day. But junior year, something started happening. And it was really then that um, the depression and the anxiety and all these mental health issues started to take hold. Um, I call it my dark passenger now. I, picked, I stole that from Dexter, the, uh, the TV show on Showtime. I really enjoyed that show. Um, and I liked that, that whatever his deal was, his urges, he named and called it his dark passenger. And I kind of have adopted that because that's what depression anxiety is to me. So I'm playing football. I'd taken off a couple years to playing football. One, because my mom didn't really want me to play, and the other, because I'd broken an ankle in gym class. Um, I'm that guy that's always <laughs> having uh, issues. Um, surprisingly athletic, but also the guy that's going to, if someone's going to get hurt, it's going to be me. But junior year, something started happening, and it got harder and harder to get out of bed. It got really hard to get out of bed every day. So much so that I kind of stopped going to school. You know, I would go to school, you know, two days a week or something. I mean, it was it was insane. And I'm surprised that, that the truancy officer didn't get called on me because I missed so much. Now, there's probably a couple reasons why I didn't. One... I had a buddy whose dad was in the medical field who wrote me doctor's notes and got me out of, um, got me excused absences. But two, when I was there, I was a good kid. I did my work. I did everything I was supposed to do. People just assumed I hated school. Um, and I, in part I did, but it was because I was dealing with things that I didn't know I was dealing with at the time. So, you know, every day was a challenge. You wake up and you decide that, that life isn't worth it, that you're not worth it. And I said, okay, I'm not, I'm just not going to school today. And some days I would get up and be productive and do something. But most of the time I would just kind of lay in bed, you know, TV was on, video game was on or something, but, but I really wasn't doing a whole lot. And uh, that obviously became a problem because it affected every part of my life. Um, you know, it affected school because now I'm working twice as hard to make up work. Now, I, luckily for me, I wasn't taking advanced classes or, or anything like that. It was just a regular high school schedule. But it still affected me. It affected everything that I did. Um, you know, affected every every aspect of my life. So, um, you know, it even stopped me from, from getting to play in football games because I missed so much time. Um, it, it was really, the, the trickle-down effect was amazing. And, and you don't understand um, how much 
how crippling this stuff can be until you're actually dealing with it. And for people that don't deal with it and you're listening to this, and I hope you are because I want people um, who don't deal with it to listen because whether you know it or not, everybody knows somebody that deals with, with mental health issues. Some of us are very good at hiding it. I know people that I have told personally, hey, I deal with with anxiety and depression, and they've looked at me and said, we would have never known because you don't act like that. So just know that some of us are, are, are very good at hiding it because we don't want anyone to know. But I do think it's important for those of you who are listening who don't deal with this to understand what people who do deal with on a daily basis because um, we deal with a lot on a daily basis. There are good days and there are bad days. But uh, back to my high school adventure. Uh, Senior year was also quite bad. It was the same type of thing. Um, I'd stopped going. You know, I would only go a couple days a week. It became a running joke as to whether I would be there or not. I even think people took pools as to whether I would be there or not or how many days in a month I would be there. Uh, because I just wasn't there very often. I was still doing well, though. I mean, I made good grades. I made up my work. You know, everything seemed to be okay. But uh, it was, you know, that was those days that I could make myself get out of bed and make myself move. Um, you know, the, the sad part about it is, really, is that people labeled me as lazy. And I, I accepted that. Because their reasoning on the surface seemed okay to me. You know, oh yeah, hey, you just don't want to come to school. You want to be at home and lay in bed all day. And that wasn't incorrect in terms of laying in bed all day. I mean, that's kind of what happened. But it wasn't because I was lazy. Because clearly if I was lazy, I wouldn't have made up the work. I always made up the work. I made good grades. I always did my stuff. Sometimes I got ahead of it. But it wasn't fair to call me lazy because it was something else. But again, something else that that people can't help you with. People can't tell you um, you what it is you're dealing with. It's always hard for me when people say, hey, I know what you're going through. Because most of the time you don't, unless you deal with it personally. Now, I don't get mad. Some people get mad at people. When they say that, I don't. I take the approach of, you know, people are trying to help, and and I always appreciate that. But for me, you know, it was a it was a labeling of, of laziness. Hey, you're lazy. Um, you know, hey, why don't you come to school? And I, I had to answer those all the time, uh, and people would would kind of laugh and, and poke fun because I, I wasn't there, and and I just accepted that as. You know, I accepted that as reality, that that's the way things were, and that I was just lazy. So, um, if you're listening to this and people do that, just know you're, you're, it's not, that's not the case. Um, depression is debilitating at times. It is hard to deal with at times. I mean, I still deal with it today. I mean, I always deal with it. You know, that's the thing is it's not like there's a cure for this. There are things that help a lot. And I'll get to some of that a little bit later in this episode. But 
it's it's not something that that goes away and um, well, although it gets better you know there are still good days and bad days even when you're doing those things that help so after high school I decided uh, I started in college and that didn't work out right away uh, there was some problem with financial aid and this and that and the other uh, that that stopped me it was a mistake uh, that my mom made actually when filling out my my financial aid paperwork and that set me out so I decided hey I'm gonna go to work and I got a job at Walmart and uh, the same stuff that hindered me in high school uh, also hindered me at Walmart believe it or not uh, so I, I got hired on to layaway that's back when layaway was a thing that's back when layaway was something that you could do you could put anything on layaway it wasn't uh, seasonal it wasn't there were no real limitations on it there were a couple things you couldn't do but pretty much if you brought a car full of stuff we would put it on layaway for you and my first two months were great busy always had something to do was always um, you know moving around getting stuff working and that was great um, and I'll, I end up learning something looking back at it now um, that I'll get to in just a minute but um, after the Christmas season layaway slows down considerably it's part of the reason why that Walmart has done away with layaway because there's not a lot of people putting stuff on layaway unless it's for Christmas so I got shifted around my days were spent with too much time on my hands uh, standing around in layaway doing nothing and some people would think oh yeah that's great you're getting paid for doing nothing but there's too much time on my hands I have too much time to think my brain has too much time to sabotage me my brain has too much time to wander to think about things that I probably shouldn't be thinking about so uh, I started calling into work a lot now I didn't get fired I did get talked to a few times but I didn't get fired because uh, I'm pretty sure that at Walmart if you have a pulse they'll let you work whether you're calling in a lot or not it's just one of those especially at that time um, it was a place that wasn't uh, gonna fire you for missing work but I also ended up moving out and decided I wanted to live on my own I had a roommate uh, that roommate it, it was a very tumultuous situation I'm not gonna get into all the details um, on here but I, I in part I moved out because there was a girl that I was seeing that my mom specifically did not approve of and I said you know what I'm just gonna move out so I can do what I want well my roommate ended up moving out and even though he was still paying his part of the rent he'd moved back onto campus because keep in mind we're still young 18 19 at this time um, because he thought if he actually I think it was his dad that thought if he didn't you know if he wasn't on campus he wasn't gonna focus and he was going to party too much and, and, and miss classes and not do his stuff. So it was just me alone all the time, um, except for when this on-again, off-again girlfriend was around. But for the most part, it was me. And those were some very dark nights, especially. I'd work until 10 o'clock. I'd get off. I'd go home. I'd stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning. I'd sleep most of the day away. And I was in a cycle of nothingness for a little while. And it was it was difficult. 
um, this is the time when it, when it hit me the hardest. Um, you know, I never, I never contemplated suicide, but I had days where I felt many days that I felt worthless, that I felt that, you know, my life didn't matter, that I didn't matter, that nothing mattered. And, uh, if it wasn't for my phobia of death and this unknown that's associated with it, I might have, uh, committed suicide, but that was, that was not something that I thought about. It is a common thing I've learned with depression, anxiety, and, you know, I, I hope that people that are thinking about that just reach out and reach out to somebody who knows what they're dealing with, um, you can do that with me. You know, I'll give some contact info here uh, at the end of, of the episode where you can reach me or the show. So, um, I got a cat, and I thought the cat was going to solve all my problems. Um, the cat was just as antisocial as I was. He didn't really want anything to do with me. Um, he was very independent, so... You know, I get this cat because I think, hey, I'll have a friend. I'll have somebody that I can be buddies with. And that ends up not really working out because uh, the cat didn't really want anything to do with me. I was hoping to find, you know, a cuddle buddy or something. Um, so um, I drank a little bit more than I should have at that time because that kind of helped. Uh, in my mind, things go away. In reality, it just numbed it for a little while. And, um, and my problems were still there when I would come back. But, um, so I, I ended up moving back home because that was probably the best thing for me at the time. I quit my job at Walmart. Um, and I thought, okay, at least when I'm home, I've got people around me. And even though I'm dealing with this stuff, I still have people around me. And, uh, I'm taking off that semester, so I've convinced myself, hey, I'm gonna get back into get back into school. But you know, this year was a wash, but that's okay. I'm gonna get back in. And in that summer, I was on a mission trip with a church I was going to at the time, and I snapped my ankle in half, um, and I had to have surgery. I had to be rushed back. Um, we'd done some work in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, after we'd done all that work, we decided as uh, a group that over half the kids in, in the group, and it was a couple different churches that were partnered with my church, that, that a bunch of these kids had not seen the ocean. So we went down the Gulf Shores, and uh, I ended up breaking my leg on a skimboard. I don't recommend that. There's a weight limit to it. I'm a big dude, and there's, there's a weight limit on that that nobody really told me about, but... Um, long story short, I break my ankle, I'll come back home. Okay, well, school's not going to happen now because I've got medical bills to pay. So that sets me back a little bit. So I go out, and once I get um, go through the process of surgery and a little bit of rehab on my ankle, um, that I'm going to get back into the workforce. And, of course, I go back to retail. But this time I go to a sporting goods store that was opening up here locally. And I thought, man, that's going to be great. I love sports. Sporting goods is where it's at. That's wrong. That's just wrong. Because you're still working retail. 
So you're the same problems you have at Walmart or Target or anywhere else is going to apply at a local sporting goods store. It just um, you're going to have different situations, but the problems are going to be the same. And I got to where I really liked golf, and I was I wanted to sell golf all the time, but oh, you know, things would happen where someone would call in, and I'd have to be shifted somewhere else, and I didn't like that. Um, I went and learned a whole new sport that I'd never done anything with, and I thought I should be able to to work over here because I you told me to learn it, and I learned it. So, um, same stuff starts happening. I decide I'm going to start calling in, um, because again, it's, you know, I think it, 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 part of it was when things went wrong, things weren't going the way I'd hoped. My brain decided that I, I don't need to go and this depression creeps in and, um, again, it's crippling. It's debilitating, and um, it was hard. So I called in a bunch, and again, same joke. So you're lazy, oh, you know, oh, you know, we're surprised you're scheduled and you're here, etc., etc. So uh, one day, um, I'm talking with my mom, and she says, you know, hey, I want you to get back in school. If you get back in school, you don't have to work through school. You know, I won't make you get a job or pay um, your part, you know, as long as you're in school. So I thought, hey, that's great. I was looking for a reason to get away from sporting goods anyways or get away from retail in general. And um, I'd enrolled in school again. So, hey, this is great. So my first semester back, I make sure I get all the paperwork right this time. Um I'd switched my, my major because originally I was going to be a, um, a newspaper type guy. I wanted to do print media. And some people told me, hey, you know, that's a dying medium. That radio and TV is something that will be around forever. But with, with the Internet and the way things are going, um, you might want to consider getting into uh, radio or TV. And I thought, well, radio would be great. So I'm back in school. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I'm going to class. Everything's working well, and and and, and I'm doing um, the right thing. And and my mind hadn't hadn't sabotaged me or anything at that point. And I got a job at a local radio station, which I've been at for the past ten years. Um, now I don't know if that's going to continue. Um, as, as there's more to the story to come, but I, I got a job. Um, I was producing minor league baseball games on the radio. I was doing some sideline reporting for, um, high school football and stuff was taken off. I mean, it was, Hey, everything's going right. Everything's going well. This is, this is what I want. And eventually my dark passenger decided it wanted to ride again. And I would stop going to classes and get to the point to where um, it, it got to the point to where I was so far behind, even when I thought felt good enough to go when I was fine. Yeah, I couldn't because I was too far behind. It wasn't like high school. College, much different, obviously. Those of you who are listening who have been to college, you know this. And I said... Okay, and I dropped out. 
and I had to sit out a semester. I had to file an appeal because financial aid was, um, you know, if you if you just stop going to classes and you fail all your classes, hey, um, you're going to have to pay a penalty for that, basically. Um, for me, it was filing an appeal. I had to sit out a semester, and okay, cool. Now we're back in. So second go around, and everything, again, you know, back to school. Oh, hey, things are going good. Things are going well. This is this is what I'm wanting. This is what I'm after. I'm going to be a radio guy. And you know, same song, different verse. I stop going to classes and I drop out altogether. So this time, I say, okay, I'm still going to do this. So I file an appeal. And I had to sit out a whole semester, or not, excuse me, not a whole semester, a whole year. So you sit out a whole year, then you come back, you have to write a letter, basically says, oh, I'm sorry, I was a bad boy, I'll do it. I won't do it again. And basically is what you have to do with the financial aid office. At my university, um, I'm sure other universities are the same, but but at my university, this is uh, this is what we're, we, I had to deal with. Well, in the meantime, I met a girl that um, I started to really like who later became my wife. So this was getting serious and you know she knew I wasn't in school and she basically said, hey, I can't date a bum. You've got to do something. You've got to go to school, get a full-time job. You've got to do something. And that seemed a little harsh to me, but you know, if, if you, you like this girl or you love this girl, you've got to do something. So I said, okay. I said, listen, I have to sit out this full year. I'm still working at the radio station. So I'll, I'll, I'll sit out this year. I'll work at the radio station. You know, it wasn't a ton of hours, but it was something. And, and it was something I didn't necessarily want to give up. And I said, just, just bear with me through this year and I'll get back in school and I'll, I'll, I'll stick to it this time. Now, again, Still not knowing the depression and anxiety, that these are the things that were preventing me from doing the things that I needed to do, that I should that I should do. So I say, okay. Uh, I worked at the radio station. I'm hiding that I'm going to school because I'm afraid if they find out I'm not in school, they're going to fire me. So, you know, I just make myself available when I need to. Or occasionally would say, oh, I have a class or mention classes that didn't exist for me at the time because I'm living a lie in part because I don't want to lose this job because that might really send me, you know, into a, a, a tailspin. And I knew that. I knew something was going on. I didn't really know what. Um, I didn't think it was depression, anxiety. I'll tell you that. But I knew I needed this job. I needed this. So I'll get back in school. And... Um, this is the, so for those of you keeping track at home, this is the third time I have been in school enrolled full time. When you get back in school after you have failed so many times and your GPA is so low, they have, you have to basically go to jail or that's what I called it. There was a program at my university where I had to put in six hours a week in a study hall and I had to pay my pittance. You know, I had to put into these six hours while going full time 
and then had to write an essay about the thing at the end. I, it was mostly pointless. Um, I could see where maybe it would serve somebody some purpose. It didn't really serve me a lot of purpose because I didn't have six hours worth of work uh, every week. So I ended up reading books most of the time. I, I would do all my classwork. I would get everything taken care of for all my classes. And then I'd sit in there and read books. But what I, what was interesting at this time is I had a history class that I fell in love with. The professor was great. I loved the class. I loved the content. And I decided, hey, I might like to teach. This might be something I could do that I'd be good at. I briefly considered it out of high school, but I thought, well, high school wasn't a great experience for me. Um, but I... But I, you know, uh, maybe it's something I'll, I'll keep in the back of my mind. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So I sw switched from broadcast journalism to social studies and history as a double major because the two coincided so much that you could do a double major um, and there was only three or four extra classes to do that which you would you'd be doing that with a minor anyway so I said okay I'll double major so now everything's going well um, Jake and this girl we got serious and up getting engaged getting married I'm going through school I'm consistently in classes I'm doing you know everything I'm supposed to do I'm going through the teaching program I'm going through the the history program and social studies etc but at home life was difficult it was different and my wife noticed it um, I would have um, times where I would just space out I would have times where um, I would have just massive panic attacks and I would start shaking and you know I couldn't explain why I couldn't I couldn't tell her why this was happening or what was going on or or you know I, I just I didn't know so she's dealing with this now because the thing is is if you deal with mental health everyone around you deals with mental health people that are very close to you deal with it um, as well which is why I think it's important for other people to listen to this podcast um, I think it's important for everyone I mean the target audience here is everyone as, as generic and corny as that sounds um, like I said before we all know somebody so uh, we're married, but I'm having, you know, trouble. I'm having bad days. I'm having days, again, where I don't want to do anything. I don't want to move. Nothing like that. And one day, I don't remember if she saw it or I saw it, but somebody had talked about at my university, they were screening people for depression and anxiety. And I said, uh, I mentioned it or she mentioned it. I don't remember exactly which, but she said, I think you should go and I thought what do you mean I should go like what she said I think you deal with some of this stuff so I you know she said if you go and they tell you there's nothing wrong then fine there's nothing wrong and it won't hurt you you're not gonna lose anything by going so she kind of pushed me to get out and and get it checked so I go to the university and they're, they've got this place set up outside, kind of in the middle of campus. She drove me. I don't know if she thought I wouldn't actually go or if she was just being supportive. I, I'm hoping it was just that she was being supportive. Could have been both. I don't know. But uh, we 
got there and she said, okay, hey, go, you know, go, go do it. And they had a questionnaire and I answered the questionnaire. I did everything um, that you're supposed to do. Um, so I said, okay, I'll answer these honestly. And that's the thing is if you do think you're dealing with something and you are doing something like this, you need to be honest about it, like honest with the answers because you're not going to get anything out of it unless you are. And I was. And they just slid me a pamphlet about anxiety and a pamphlet about depression. And that was it. And, uh, you know, me, who is high-strung sometimes anyways, said, okay, what's this, like, what, what are my results? And she said, I slid you these two pamphlets because these are the things you tested high for. And if you'd like, we offer free counseling here at the university. And, you know, call and make an appointment. And I said, okay. You know, and I'm thinking it would have been helpful if you told me this in the beginning. But what I also learned was is that kids were getting credit for their classes for doing it. So most people that went and did it weren't really there because they wanted help. But I was. So I call and make an appointment. And um, I got checked out and started going to counseling. Well, I checked out. They're not. It wasn't really like a doctor's appointment, but but I did um, additional surveys there, and I started going to one of the counselors, and I did it once a week, and I found it incredibly beneficial. Some because it was just someone to talk to. It was nice to have um, a safe space that. I could say whatever I wanted and talk about myself and and not be judged for it, not feel like I'm different. And also to, to hear someone else's perspective. So I went to one counselor for a couple of years. Um, that guy actually had graduated and moved on. And then I, I started seeing another one at the university. And this guy was fantastic. I mean, he made me feel like I was normal. And that was something new to me. And normal is a subjective term. We all have a different idea of what normal is. But I never felt normal in life. Especially when I'm dealing with all these things that I'm dealing with, but I don't know what it is, but I know I don't feel normal. So now I know there's something going on. I know what it is, but I don't feel normal. And going to counseling helped me feel normal. Um, it helped me get better because um, counselor number two not only would hear me, but also give me advice and talk. Not life-changing advice, but, hey, here's what I think. And um, he never told me what to do, but he offered a different perspective sometimes or offered the same perspective. Um, I found out that this counselor does, you know, deals with it himself. So, counselor number one, the first guy that I, I went to had told me, hey, let's try not to go on medication here because we'll see if I can give you, you know, he's saying, hey, I'll see if I can give you some techniques and if I can, uh, maybe that'll help you because with medication, if you ever have to go off of it, you know, your problems are still going to be there. And, with, and, and I went through that and I got only so far. And then the second uh, counselor, number two, said, hey, 
I take medication. It's normal. You know, that's it's okay to take medication. You you might need it. It's no different than any other illness that you might have that you take medication for. If you have high blood pressure, you're going to take high blood pressure medication. You know, if you have, um, you know, some sort of of illness, you're going to take medication for it. Mental illness is no different. So I went to my doctor, my general practitioner, the family doctor, and I got checked out. And um, he prescribed me some medication for it, which I still take to this day. And it has made a world of difference for me because it helps, you know, even me out, I guess. I, I don't know exactly what it does, but I know I'll feel different and I know I'll feel better because of it. So, um, so I've been, I'd been going to counseling, you know, I found a, a job working in radio, also working at the university's post office, loved doing that as well. Cause it kind of kept me active, you know, doing the wrestling thing. Um, and that, that helps as well, um, with my anxiety and my depression, because what I've learned is, is if I can keep myself busy or find things that make me not think about the things I normally would be thinking about, um, it, it, it's very helpful for me. Uh, I did graduate. I had just graduated this past May in 2018. It took a while, and I'm in incredible debt because of it, but I did it, and it was it's the first accomplishment in my life that I'm truly, extremely proud of. Shortly after graduation, uh, I received a job teaching so I'll be a first year teacher coming up here in August it'll be uh, my first big boy job I like to say but I'm excited about it um, I'm excited for a couple different reasons one I'll actually have a little bit of money but two there are kids that are in school systems now that deal with the same thing that I was dealing with and I'm not going to run up to them and say hey I'm dealing with depression how about you but if those kids need help or they seek out help or if they're listening to this right now, um, they're not alone. Anyone listening to this that deals with it, you're not alone. I can promise you that there are many of us out there that deal with it. Um, and I want uh, everyone to know that. I want everyone to know it's, it's okay to, to reach out to somebody if you want to. I know that's not easy. I know that's not something that many of us want to do. Um, but I'm telling you, I deal with it. I'm telling you, you can reach out to me if you want to reach out to me. Um, we have a Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm terrible with, with media and social media and stuff, but we have a Twitter. It's at Wrestling With The Mind. And we have a Facebook, same thing, Wrestling With The Mind. If you'd like to reach out to me personally on Twitter, I'm at Phoenix Rocket. Um, you can reach out to me on there as well. We also have a, an email. Uh, if you'd like to do it the old-fashioned way. Sad, sad that that's the old-fashioned way now when email, as I was growing up, was so revolutionary. But our email is uh, wrestlingwiththemind at gmail.com. You can find us on there as well. Um, I just wanted to share my story. As we go forward, it's going to be less about me and more about you and more about uh, people that deal with this. Um, if you want to come on the show, you certainly can. That's something I'd like to do. I want people to see success stories, people to see um, stories of people who deal with this sort of thing every day that are leading successful, productive lives, because I think that's important for, for us to see um, 
because that also reinforces the idea that you're not alone and you can do it and you can live with it and it's okay and you're okay. But, um, you know, it's okay to not be okay. I've been there. I think anybody that's dealt with this has been there. So that's going to do it for this episode. I think everyone who sat through and listened to it, um, I know it's not always easy listening to just one voice in a show, so I'm going to try to change that for future episodes. I'm looking at bringing in guests and things of that nature. If you'd like to be on the show or you have a question, you want, uh, you have a story that you want read via email, um, you're more than willing uh, to share that. We would love to hear it. Again, it is at Wrestling With The Mind on Twitter, Facebook, WrestlingWithTheMind at gmail.com. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. I'm Seth Burchett. And remember, you may not always be okay, and that's okay. Thanks for listening.